Welcome back to The Sacred Life. I'm Shan Vanderleek, and today I'm speaking with Rebecca Wildbear about her new book, Wild Yoga, a practice of initiation, veneration, and advocacy for the earth. Rebecca is also the creator of a yoga practice called Wild Yoga, which empowers individuals to tune in to the mysteries that live within the earth community, dreams, and their own wild nature so they may live a life of creative service. You can visit Rebecca online at RebeccaWildbear.com. Welcome to The Sacred Life, Rebecca. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to dive in. Oh, I am too. And before every interview, I take a, a moment, light a candle, get very still, and draw an oracle card for the sacred life and for my website, Transformation Goddess. And today, the card that came up for this conversation was Freya, bold, unleash your adventurous side, take risks and be daring. And the card is all about not playing it safe, taking bold action in the direction of your heart's desire, and how success comes from not from timidity, but from committing yourself fully to realizing your dream and holding that clear intention. And I thought, well, of course, that's the card that came up. That sounds a lot like the the author that I'm meeting right now and this wonderful book, Wild Yoga. What do you think about Freya showing up today for us? Well, I was kind of, I kind of smiled when I heard that because Freya is I believe from Norse mythology, and I'm Swedish, I believe Freya is like a fierce, she has a fierce goddess energy. And as you know, there's my chapter, feral female ferocity. So I kind of smiled to feel her presence being invited into the conversation. Yeah. And she is definitely, she's with us right now for sure. And this is it's a fun practice that I have for for every interview and and the cards the the messages the archetypes come through so spot on almost every single time it seems I'd like to begin our conversation today asking you about how you describe living a life of creative service Thank you for that that question I feel that, you know, living a life of creative service is kind of partly related to rooting ourselves, rooting our being in the care of the well-being of the planet, and also in um, listening to other guidances besides just our own human mind, like open us, opening ourselves up uh, since we are living, wanting to live an earth, what I would call an earth-centered life opening ourselves up to being in conversation with the earth, feeling our relationship and how we're a part of earth and being in a conversation where we can listen to what she needs and how she feels and, and what's happening to her. Uh, I also feel like um, living a life of creative service is thinking about what serves the whole. Um, you know, it, like I think true elders are people that don't just take the human realm into consideration and what's best for the human realm they include that what's best for the human realm all the different all the different sex and groups and you know possibilities of humans but also what's best for the earthly realm and then they're also considering you know what is what's best for the spirit and the soul realm and 
what is my soul saying and how does my soul link up with the soul of the planet? And also living a life of creative service is connecting to the muse because um, the muse is one that can help direct our service. So, you know, my whole book is kind of about being aligned and practices for being aligned and able to listen and hear and ask questions of mm. these intelligences that are greater than us and to be able to listen for direction and guidance. And so living a life of creative service is where our care is is not egocentrically focused, which is just what's best for my little own life or for me. We do have to take care of ourselves to some level, but in the world, I think one of the challenges is is that the culture of individualism teaches people just to get for themselves. And then meanwhile, other people are harmed, the earth is harmed. So a, a life of creative service is able to look at the whole of people and of the earth and listen for how we can take down or recreate things to bring us back into, into balance. Mm, I love that. In the beginning of the book, within the first one or two chapters, there was a a quote that just took my breath away. And it was, nature is more than our healer. She is our deepest place of belonging. And as I read the book, it's obvious that you have a deep connection with the earth. And then to to read that quote, I'd, I'd love for you to tell me more about that, about nature being our deepest place of belonging. Thanks for highlighting that part. I've always loved being in nature, even since I was a young child and felt comfortable in trees. And I didn't know how to put words to it. Earth is my deepest place of belonging at that time. But I do know that I I went out to trees when I was uh, struggling, that I felt most at home in nature than I did more than I did in the human world. And as I grew, I learned about a lot of ways I could be in nature a lot, which is uh, I, I learned a lot of outdoor activities like kayaking and whitewater rafting and rock climbing and backpacking and mountain biking and hiking. And uh, and I did all those things and I joined communities where I was doing those things. So I was always outside in beautiful places and I also became a wilderness therapist so that I worked outside and I helped people heal in the wilderness. And it was astounding to see that people who didn't recover in indoor settings could actually heal and recover in in nature, such a Mm. powerful force. Yeah, there's been so many studies on how nature can heal people uh, who can't heal in indoor settings. As a wilderness therapist for 15 years, I saw that and And also, even before I was a wilderness therapist in college, I remember reading a study where uh, a mental institution burned down and and all the people had to live outside for the summer while the building was repaired. And they noted that all the people got healthier, much healthier. (laughs) But then when the building was done, they put everybody back inside. So it's uh, there's been so many documented studies on how people actually heal in the wilderness. But when I say our deepest place of belonging is nature, is the earth. I'm trying to invite us even beyond, you know, the recreation of I love being outside and I can do all these great activities. And even beyond the psychotherapeutic focus of, well, wilderness therapy, or we can go into the nature to heal, that, you know, wilderness isn't there just for us to heal. It does do that. But, you know, just the smaller definition and understanding and relationship 
And it's not just there as a beautiful backdrop where I feel better or where I can do these recreational activities. It's our home. Mm. We can have a relationship with it where we, this is where we live. This is our place. And this is where we can, who we can converse with and have conversations with and have a very deep relationship with. In many ways, I would say it kind of comes from the idea that we're birthed from a human woman's womb, but we're also psycho-spiritually and physically birthed from the womb of the earth. The elements that make up our body are the elements that make up the earth. And the earth feeds us. All the food we take into our bodies comes from her. We, we couldn't be alive without her. All the materials that we make our shelter with or anything else come from her. So we belong to her and she's, you know, we've lived off her, her bosom, you know, our whole life. And so when we take us into a deeper place of belonging with her, it's feeling our connection and what she's given us and being in an exchange with her where we allow her to inform and remind us of who we really are. And then that invitation too, to, to listen, to really listen and commune. You've got a, a number of references and stories around communing or communion with trees. And it made me think of a, a story that I wanted to share with you and our listeners today that we had this beautiful hundred year old maple tree, uh, the magic maple in the village where I live that had a giant quartz crystal inside of her trunk. I've been here almost 20 years. I would walk to this tree very regularly and put my hand on the crystal and my hand on the trunk and and had this relationship with this tree. And one day I came home and noticed that they were cutting her down. And the reaction that I had, I had a visceral reaction to this tree coming down and like, I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> this, this tree was healthy, vibrant tree. And anyway, so it was really bothering me. And anyway, I stopped by and talked to the woman who, who lived at the, at the house and very boldly just asked about it. And it was causing some issues with her home. An entire portion of her home would need to come down or the tree would need to come down. And she offered me several pieces of the tree and kept the giant crystal quartz portion in, in her garden as a, an altar, an honoring. The story's almost over, I promise. I went to uh, an event on, the, on some sacred ground here in northern Michigan, and we all were sitting around. It was a grief ceremony, and I brought a piece of the tree to tell the story and to, to burn this piece in, in the tree with, with witnesses. And b- before we began, my teacher Lorraine passed around a, a basket, a marriage basket full of different poems. And the poem that I drew before anybody knew what I had to say, before even I knew what I was going to say was, was a beautiful poem about a tree. And so I got to honor the tree and burn the wood and give thanks. And I just love that tree and still am so grateful for all of the time I got to to spend with the magic maple. Mm, what a beautiful and heartbreaking story. I know, I know how it is when, when they cut um, who we love, you know, and for really ridiculous reasons. And one of my sadnesses though, has always been how trees lives aren't honored when they die. And 
why, why do we honor human lives if we don't honor tree lives and or forest lives? And anyway, I, I love hearing how you honored the, the tree's life. I'd love for you to share with us your, your favorite way to receive the love of trees. Mm. Well, gosh, I have so many ways and it might depend on the particular tree I'm with and the way that we want to connect there, how much time there is to be with the trees. I, I love to, even just when I go through trees, just put my hand on their trunk and stick my nose up to their bark and, and smell the, the smell of their bark. If they're an evergreen tree or it's in season where there's leaves to just feel the foliage, touch their foliage with my fingertips and just whisper to them or tell them what I find beautiful about them. To receive love, you know, if there's more needed and I have more time, I like to lean my backs against their trunk. Mm. There's something about leaning against their trunk because their trunk to me, I can feel their heart in their trunk, the heart of them. Mm. And when my heart, my back is close to the, their back, it just feels so supportive. I mean, I really do feel like the trees have my back and and sometimes in a in a crazy world, you know, that really can feel missing, you know. I love to just be resting. I can feel like my body can really rest when I'm leaning my back against their trunks and talking to them and just telling them what's in my heart and listening, and just being still. I also love sometimes lying down underneath trees and looking up at their branches and leaves and just watching the way their branches and leaves move and, mm-hmm. and dance above me or the light shines through. And sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I still climb up in them and just literally wrap my whole body around them like I did when I was a child. I love that. We have a uh, beautiful woods behind our home and we put a hammock like right in between two giant maples and then when you know spring comes and the leaves are just starting to show up and you can just lay back and look up and watch that dappled light and watch them dance and listen to I so yeah I get it <laughs> we could all use more communion with the trees yeah it's such a gift to have forester trees to live near forester trees it's just I think it's the greatest gift to live mm-hmm. near wild places and and I even know people that have connected when they didn't and there was just a tree I I wrote about the the man in in India, I worked with online who there was like one tree in his entire neighborhood blocks away. And he had a powerful communion with it. So uh, that he'd never had before, even with people around. So I, I think that we can choose, you know, whenever with whatever trees or nature we have around to connect. Yeah. Uh, I would like to talk about your practice of reconciling with the goddess. I'd like to talk about feminine ferocity, voice reclamation. I'd like to talk about dreams and uh, and how you let dreams inform your life. And finally, making, pearl, making a, a pearl of our vulnerabilities. Those were all areas in the book that were just, there's so much potency in this book, Rebecca, <laughs> and, and included with the storytelling and with the the thoughtful ways that you bring us back to the things that we can practice and do, as well as the the yoga 
instructions and and different poses after each chapter. There's just, there's so much there. So those are some of the areas that I'd like you to dig into a little deeper. And you can do that in any way you want, in any um, order you would like. Uh, But those are the areas I'd like to touch on. Reconciling with the goddess. You're going in a different different order. You name things in a different order than my book, but I like playing with uh, I like playing with the order you named them in. Reconciling with the goddess, which is in towards the end in chapter 17, mostly because I imagine it might take people 16 chapters to be able to prepare for for that. But you're you know since you are working with the goddess, I'm like I went right there. <laughs> imagine your your audience might be ready for the goddess right away. One of the pieces that's woven throughout my book is this sense of the archetypal masculine and the archetypal feminine energies that exist in the universe and that exist in each of us, no matter our sex or gender, and uh, kind of a, a calling them back to balance. And that also exists, let me name, in, in communities and cultures and systems. My kind of bringing to light how there's a, there's a lack of balance in, in our culture, uh, and there's a lack of balance often in, in a lot of people, you know, because the people create the culture uh, where there's a toxic masculine focus that and the toxic masculine does not respect uh, the feminine energy. It kind of, it made, it's hierarchical and it's less than, and it needs to be diminished or controlled or dominated uh, or hurt. Right. The practices in my book, which I think of as in general, very feminine practices, a lot of them, because they involve listening. Yeah. They, archetypal like the the feminine energy the body of the feminine is has the womb uh, which is an energy where we gestate and we listen and we become there's not a lot of like doing we're we're sort of being created by a higher power if we listen and we tap into it or higher powers and those energies are all called into my book because it's all about that gestational listening which is very dreamlike it's the quality that we talk about when we listen to our dreams we listen to the dream of the earth and we let the dreams create us. So I'm kind of calling back in a, a balance uh, internally by doing these practices to really dial in a strength and an honoring of the feminine side of us and the feminine side of the universal. Mm. And also in reconciling the goddess, I'm I'm kind of even actually bring it in, bring it into the culture and into the relational that the way women in our culture are treated or the feminine energy is treated or these feminine qualities are treated is part of why the harm happens. And I'm bringing back into, I, I, I mentioned um, the, the old uh, rule of, you know, how in old times with castles in the, the king would marry the land. And so there was a balance where the you know the ma- masculine was an honor of the feminine like i'm not going to take actions that are just based on you know what i want to do in the moment i'm going to live in a way that honors the land and when there's this honoring uh, this balance this masculine energy that honors and listens to the feminine you know that's archetypally culturally communally and individually in balance you can look at our out of balance in our psyche you know a woman can have a you know a masculine aspect that's in their psyche that's dominating all the feminine aspects so we can be out of balance personally culturally archetypally and interestingly since we started with freya you know in norse mythology there's this idea that the sky gods and the and the feminine earth spirits um, got into a fight and the uh, sky gods treated the feminine spirits of the earth badly and and that they needed to come back in balance and 
And then in fact, they did come back into balance spiritually and psychically, but that the human world, the earth world on the planet hasn't caught up with what they've done. And part of what we're doing to bring our world back into balance is bringing us back into balance with this feminine energy. Right. While the patriarchy is kicking and screaming and clawing and hanging on to every last morsel. Yeah, it's, you know, we're, I wouldn't say we're in a place of, you know, if it can be one where we're close or winning, but I'm just kind of calling, uh, you know, I begin to call some practices back into balance. How can we, how can we come back to balance? How can we reconcile with the goddess? How, and a lot of it, speaking of dreams, is through dreams. In that cha- in that chapter, I throughout the book, I'm working with dreams, you know, individual dreams. How do we just even, chapter six is like just starting to listen to our dreams and honor our dreams and working with our own individual practices. And then chapter 16, I move into dreaming for the world. And how do we ask questions of the dreams that help us with our creative service to the world? And then in chapter 17, Reconciling with the Goddess, I'm sharing a story about how uh, a woman that I worked with in Ireland, the, that the goddess, that uh, the, the Kaliak came to her and uh, how she reconciled with the goddess through her own story and conversations with her dreams and the land. Part of reconciling with the goddess is listening to our dreams and noticing if the goddess is in our dreams, if there's certain figure, you know, figures or beings like that. That are coming back to us that, that want to be heard and want to be listened to, experienced part of parts of us that have messages or maybe want us to embody qualities that they that they have. Mm. What is your your practice, your dreaming practice? Do you um, do you have like a journal by your bed? Do you do you log the dreams? Do you are you just a really um, vivid dreamer who remembers and? And carries that forward. I have a journal because I yeah. like like everybody else. I can tell myself I'll remember that, and then when and I get gone, up, it's gone. Yeah. It doesn't. I mean, sometimes I can remember through the night without writing it down right away, but sometimes not. It's always a risk when you don't write it down right away. Almost always, if I don't write it down in the morning and I start with my day, I, I lose it. I do have a dream journal, and I do write down dreams in the present tense. And even before I get up and write them down, there's a there's a lot that goes on. Like the night before, I might ask for a dream, just any dream, or I might have a specific question. I might linger in the dream from the morning before or the last dream that I remember that still feels strong. I might linger in that before I fall asleep, return to it, remembering its images, remember how I felt, kind of hanging out with the mystery of it. When I when I wake up, I, I don't get up if I, you know, I like to not get up right away. I like to plan it so I don't get up. Sometimes that can't happen, but that's my favorite is when I can plan times where I don't have to get up right away and I can just close my eyes and stay in the dream mm-hmm. and like kind of go through it again in detail, as much detail as I can remember. And not necessarily in a linear way. I think of dreams a lot like a painting when you're like looking at something and you're just trying to take in as many details as you can remember as much as you can and not trying to force if there's something that isn't remembered, but just trying to make space for it to, to emerge and and become clear. I ask myself sometimes when I'm lingering, what's, what's this dream wanting me to experience? Good question. I'm not trying to inflict my will on the dream or change it. It might be uncomfortable or edgy. A lot of dreams are sometimes they're even nightmarish, 
But I'm just wondering, so what am I feeling in this dream? What's the primary feelings or experiences I'm having? And and why would the dream maker want me to have these experiences? What What's the message here? Of Yeah. And so I keep listening and asking those questions. And then I get up and write it down in the present tense. And And then throughout the day, I try to return to it and notice if there's any synchronicities in the day or things that remind me of the dream that happened during the day. But I try to return to it whenever I have a moment. You know, sometimes when I'm doing something, can be waiting in line or it might be cleaning something where I can allow my my imagination to drift a little bit. Yeah. I return. I have a recurring visitor in my dreams that is a grizzly bear. And mm-hmm. most of the dreams are not there's no I'm not frightened of the bear. I'm like have a relationship with this bear. And the first time that he showed up, it was like standing fully erect next to my bed, just screaming his face off to get my attention, but not to harm me, but right there, like right there in my face. And I think I'm still untangling that message and, and wondering who, you know, what this, what this bear is all about and getting to know what these, the messages are. Mm, Beautiful. Wow. I, you know, I, I love bears. They're part of my feral female ferocity chapter. Uh, Well, let's, gosh, that's so uh, wonderful. And I love how you talk about the bear as someone you're just getting to know. Like that's, yeah, so it's just, I mean, that's really what it feels like. I, I remember when I, I was telling a friend about the, the first, the first dream was the very ferocious, you know, I'm here, look at me, I'm here with you, I'm right here. I was kind of blown away by like, wow, what, what, what is the bear, you know, what is the bear teaching me? What does the bear want me to know? And so just talking to you and reading your book, I'm like, okay, I can dig into this a little bit. There's just so there's just so much that we can learn from our dreams. Yeah, I, I love I love that you talk about the bear and and that you return to it and that's what I find when we hang out with the beings from our dreams that we kind of love and are mysterious and intrigue us. Is, it kind of sounds a little bit like an inner beloved, you know, there's like an allurement and a danger and just a little intrigue and you know that if we hang out with them and spend time with them something the next the dream can continue even while we're awake. Let's move on with your intention, what you would most love your readers to take away from their experience with wild yoga, because it is, it's not just reading a book. It's an, it's an experience. I suspect that there's an invitation that you have for us that, that you'd like us to, to come away with. Yeah, I, I think that the, one of the main invitations is just to open people to how large the world is how large the world of who we can be in communion with is the the depth of being in communion with our bodies and the intelligence that we have the the depth of being in communication with the dream world and all the intelligence it has and a huge message is the earth of course like you know honoring the earth as a sentient and alive being most of the time humans have been alive on the planet they've been in conversation with the animate natural world 
And it's only in the last few hundred years that we've lost an understanding that the earth is an alive being to relate with. So mm-hmm. I'm storing and returning that. So I'm, I'm opening people to this larger world and possibility with practices for how they can engage. And I aim to make my language simple and stories simple so that anyone who wanted to could get it. Yeah. Even if it seems like kind of out there and, you know, maybe really different, that it's still written in such a way that if you do the practices and you want to, you could get there. Mm-hmm. And because the earth needs all of us and it wants all of us to be in relationship, not to exclude people. You know, we're, we're all part of it. Um, and of course, a big message and, and longing, a deep longing that I have is being able to bring humans back into balance, uh, balanced relationship with the earth. Yes, please. <laughs> and it seems like impossible and it might be impossible. I have, you know, who knows what's possible and what's impossible, but my muses and the earth keep directing me towards acting and living as if it is possible. And what would I do and what can I do and what can I contribute? And so sharing these ways of being in relationship with the larger world and listening are for me a hope and a possibility for um, if we are relating to these ones as, as the God and goddess that they are, these wild beings that uh, we will want to and need to and understand that that's more important than any of the other stuff of civilization mm-hmm. uh, so can just radically move towards altering the way we're living. And I don't just mean individually. I mean, this is not about individual choices. I'm talking about uh, as a culture, you know, as a communities of people, like people need to join together to and, and take action to be able to make the changes that need to happen. I look at my own family and I look at my son and his friends and the, the way that they think about behave and honor each other and the earth in a, in a different way than what I grew up with. There just seems to be, at least in their friend group, a sensitivity and a knowing that is so much deeper than where I was at, at that age. And, and so that makes me feel like there's some, some hope there <laughs> that the, that the younger ones coming in are really seeing the importance of this and and want to to do what they can. Mm, well, I'm so glad to hear hear that. It is it is a joy to meet inspired and connected young people. So I'm so glad that your your son and his friends are like that. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I will say, as we as we close up today, I appreciated your complete transparency and vulnerability in, in your own sharing throughout the book. We didn't really talk about much of that today, but because you could come from those places and experiences and along with your experience as a yogini and and all that you've done and and the the strength and the courage that that you have and the, you know, just reading about the fasting and vision quest and the things that you did on your own, the the way that you are immersed in the world and the way that you choose to be is um, pretty awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I'm so glad that 
the stories I shared touched you. It does feel vulnerable uh, when you birth a book into the world to have, oh my gosh, like not just the people I, friends or people at my programs I choose to tell stories with, but the whole world, they're out there. And yeah, but I also wanted to share them because sometimes it can be easy to think that a teacher or something hasn't gone through those experiences and that we all go through. And I wanted to humanize myself as related to yeah. the challenges we all go through and that that's part of the journey. Well, you did that and then some. Wild Yoga is a gorgeous book. If you're enjoying our conversation today, you absolutely want to get a copy of Wild Yoga. And you can do that at RebeccaWildBear.com or wherever books are sold. You can learn more about Rebecca and her soulful offerings, again, at that website, RebeccaWildBear.com. Rebecca, thank you so much for making time today to have this conversation with me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for your questions and, and reading my book and sharing it with everybody. It's been a pleasure to be here with you today. Oh,